0: Okay, so uh, welcome to this uh, first episode of the Commoning Design and Designing Commons podcast with our first guest, uh, Frederik van Hamstel from Brazil. Uh, I'm here, uh, Giacomo Poderi, in the IT University Copenhagen stu- podcast studio with uh, Sanna Maria Martila and Joanna Satsulonen. And uh, as I said, uh, Frederick is with us, directly connected from uh, Brazil. Um, so... The topic of today, as a first episode, uh, will uh, focus on uh, design pedagogy, the role of body and uh, affective relations and uh, particular solidarity in relationship to design and commons and um, we are very glad and happy that uh, Frederick is here with us. Frederick is uh, just a brief introduction about uh, Frederick. He is an assistant professor of service design and experience design at the uh, Industrial Design Academic Department of the Federal University of Technology in Paraná, Brazil, uh, and is a transdisciplinary uh, scholar with backgrounds in social communication, uh, science and technology studies, and uh, design. and uh, one of his, well, let's say broadly, his work, as he uh, writes about himself, is about design, uh, having a role of design education, educator and researcher who enables people from different social backgrounds to work, learn and play together while designing uh, technologies such as websites, electronic products, games, environments, but other, also other uh, interactive media. Uh, one, for instance, um, quite relevant uh, outcome of his work and collaborations in Brazil is this uh, uh, Corais platform, uh, was launched in uh, 2011 as a open innovation platform and collaboration with uh, um, the Faber-Ludens Interaction Design Institute. Um, And since 2012, if I'm correct, it became an uh, independent cooperative platform that supports um, collaboration uh, among cultural producers in Brazil. And um, recently, uh, Frederick has started to work uh, or focus uh, most of his work on approaches for uh, uh, supporting the uh, um, overcoming of uh, oppressive or oppression uh, oppressive relations and oppression and uh, other kind of systemic contradiction um, one aspect that is currently concerned with is trying to focus on approaches that support so uh, how he calls it design for liberation so uh, welcome Frederick and we're happy you're here
1: Thank you, Giacomo. Thank you, Sana and Joanna for having me this first episode. It's an honor.
0: Okay. So, uh, I mean, let's maybe start uh, with some uh, content. Uh, You... You say that, uh, I mean, your focus on design for liberation is something that uh, uh, directly connect with, uh, of course, oppression. The two things are uh, somehow tightly connected. And as you also uh, told me when we first discussed this, uh, this uh, the idea of this episode, um, your uh, focus, the pedagogical focus is a lot relying on uh, uh, the work and tradition of um, Paulo Freire and uh, Augusto Boal works, so their legacy uh, from the the pedagogy, critical pedagogy of oppressed and in particular the theater of oppressed. Um, They were quite, uh, uh, still quite influential I would say in Brazil but also internationally, but they were not strictly speaking uh, designers. So uh, I wonder or maybe we wonder how does their pedagogy, how does their work uh, fit into critical pedagogy and in design pedagogy, which you are particularly uh, engaged with? What is this? Uh, yeah. Why is it so interesting for you and for your work?
1: Nice question, Giacomo, to start with. Um, so I was in Brazil. I just came back from my uh, doctoral degree in 2015 and Brazil was in a political turmoil where the uh, left government has been uh, criticized for um, trying to uh, share privileges among the, the, the lower income population. Mm-hmm. And the higher income population were very angry with that. And they didn't want to share uh, airports or airplanes with <laughs> the low income population. So they overthrown. The, the Brazilian president of that time, Dilma Rousseff, and I was just arrived and, and seeing this situation, even working with Dilma's teams to, um, uh, develop some participatory design policies, which of course were interrupted by the situation, I started to reflect and understand, uh, what from participatory design that I've learned in Scandinavia and also in the Netherlands, um, could be applied to Brazilian situation and I found uh, little um, uh, um, applicability mm-hmm. <laughs> I had to somehow rethink. But while trying to go back to the roots of participatory design, I found some references, earlier references to Paulo Freire's work and okay. of the O'Spinest, and I dig into her work, I uh, dug into her, his work and. Also, uh, the connected work of Augusto Boal, who also wrote about uh, similar situations. So what, what is interesting about them is that they frame reality as something which is in flux, in transformation. And uh, some people get to have a better hold of this reality than others mm-hmm. uh, because they have so much power. They have some influence and they develop historically a relationship that other people are not being able to see reality as it is through ideology, through uh, uh, policies, through all kinds of different uh, structures that become naturalized as if reality was curtailed in that way, in the way they want, the powerful people. And this concept of oppression started to become really interesting to understand that we lived in an oppressed reality, and the Mm -hmm. only way to transform that reality would be to overcome that oppression. And then comes to uh, the concept of liberation, which is um, somehow an original contribution of Paulo Freire and uh, the circle of uh, researchers and philosophers who were interested in the theology of liberation. Although it's not necessarily a theological concept, it has got some influence from Christianity and concepts such as um, overcoming this uh, 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 material life and heading for something else, which is somehow transcendental. However, uh, Augusto Ball was not religious at all. And he said, Mm -hmm. liberation for us means uh, fulfilling our desires that have been denied over and over and creating a situation, a structure in society where this fulfillment will be normal and naturalized. So we would have all needs from all different kinds of populations fulfilled. And that became a, a very interesting motivation for my work since then.
0: Okay, thanks. I mean, Boal was also, if I remember correctly, quite a, a, a politically active also. I mean, so it, it was uh, uh, meshing together some uh, maybe Philosophical and pedagogical principle behind his uh, uh, th- uh, approach to theater, but also there was a lot of uh, of activism also behind his, uh, his uh, I guess approach and uh, ideas and uh, objectives, if I say so. Yeah.
1: Yes, that, that's very important because uh, uh, both Boal and Freddy were imprisoned during this, uh, the sixties and seventies. Yeah. In the, yeah. I think the sixties in Brazil. And they later uh, had to go on exile, uh, and that's where they developed their ideas. And even, uh, uh, I guess, Paulo Freire was in exile and giving a lecture mm-hmm. in somewhere where Paul Helen for example, attended, and he got really mm-hmm. excited about uh, pedagogy of the oppressed in this situation. Mm-hmm. Okay. And a lot of yeah. people also get in touch with theater of the oppressed, especially in France, uh, through the work of Auguste Ball. So that's. Quite some historical connection between those times uh, um, in Brazil, for example, where we had this uh, military dictatorship and current times where we have this far right wing uh, politics, especially uh, Jair Bolsonaro, who is the current Brazilian president.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but also talking about the, this, I don't know, maybe circulation of ideas and, and influences. I mean, I also was. Uh, The first time that I actually took part in a a, a session that was trying to convey the the principles of the theater of of, of oppression was uh, uh, actually in one of the participatory design conference in uh, 2012 maybe or 2010. So it was also something that uh, uh, maybe it's still, uh, the influences of Freire and uh, Boal still quite uh, uh, present in the community and somehow they, I don't know, still travel and influence people uh, from different contexts and backgrounds and uh, yeah, geographical location.
1: It not, might not be just a, a specific thing about Brazilian, Brazilians of the 17s being similar to the Brazilians of the 2020s, but also in the world history, because we currently have a rise of far right-wing uh, politics in many other countries and also there's a, a rise of anti-oppression movements such as Black Lives Matter and other yeah. ones that have been also inflation in design fields.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Frederick. But then I'm also uh, thinking uh, more about the challenges of uh, actually trying to, um, to put in practice a, a design course that follows this principle because uh, if we think from from our perspective in in Europe, Nordic context, um, I would say that uh, it is quite uh, uh, critical and provocatory in a sense to try to bring this kind of uh, teachings to the student within uh, maybe, I don't know, uh, Traditional, I mean, uh, traditional master course is a bit uh, of a vague uh, concept, but anyway, there is a certain uh, expectation uh, that is conveyed by universities as institutions and students as people who uh, inhabit and practice within this institution and. And receiving uh, this kind of education would—I, I, my, this is my hunch—that uh, could be rather challenging and provocatory. So I'm wondering also, what are the practical implications for you? How challenging is for you to deliver a course on critical design in the Brazilian context? And what, what? shape does your course or your education take when you try to do these uh, courses and these uh, convey these ideas for liberation and, and uh, the problems of oppression?
1: It is provocative anywhere in the world, I would say, because uh, that's the point. Uh, in this ontology of, of oppressed reality, they believe that if we don't do any special um, uh, uh, strategy or tactics to revert and repair oppression, then we are oppressing, even if you are not uh, totally conscious of that. And being uh, not totally conscious is also part of the oppression, uh, being covered by ideology that says, for example, that we are not uh, an oppressive society, we are not an oppressive institution, we are not an oppressive design education. (laughs) And, And if you start from this premise, you already being an oppressor because you are not acknowledging that this reality has been constructed based on oppression, the historical oppression such as um, the exploitation of women's work of uh, black mm-hmm. people uh, that has been forcefully enslaved and and other kinds of uh, work that has been exploited throughout the years to construct these institutions that uh, always tries to. Um, uh, privileged, the already privileged. So oppression means first of all, to become self-critical. Yeah. So if we want to, uh, have this critical, uh, design education, we want to acknowledge that design education in the past has been an oppressive education and it still is, and we have to, a long way towards, uh, society and reality that is less oppressive and where perhaps there will be no oppression. But that's, in, uh, that's a, I mean, you would. Version of <laughs> the participatory design utopia, <laughs> I would say, where we have a, live in a society where everybody can uh, interact uh, without uh, framing differences, bodily differences especially, as negative. That's something that uh, it, it's already ingrained into our cultural frames of reference. We see a different body, and we inherit a negative. Uh, um, concepts concept and prejudice against, or, or against that body so we don't yep. want to include that body we don't get next to that body we don't want to be
0: like that body and that, that's that's oppression in a nutshell thanks Freddy. yeah uh, sana you wanted to say something
2: Yes, I wanted to go back to the point of being self-critical and uh, uh, reflective. And uh, in one of yeah. your writings or presentations, you have also said that that you want to support the students, uh, design students to discover who they want to become in the worlds that they produce. And that really resonated with me and my approach with my also service design students. But I was thinking, could you share an, your insights or Practical uh, ways of how to encourage this self-critical reflection in service design field.
1: Uh, it is uh, very challenging to do that because it means it's not just about uh, acquiring technical skills to become uh, what you want to be, but really losing some uh, oppressive skills. <laughs> so to learn to how to be. Uh, a less oppressive person and even work together with oppressed people, you have to unlearn how to be an oppressor. And that's, that's painful because we take advantage, especially in the university, uh, of being oppressor. or a oppre- uh, uh, university as, as an institution that privileges the already privileged. Yeah. So it is a quite oppressive place and you learn how to be a good oppressor and you get good grades if you're oppressing well, <laughs> but, uh, if you want to uh, have a critical design education, we have to do the other way around. And there are multiple ways of doing that, following uh, critical pedagogy of Paulo Freire, also the author of the press from Augusto Boal. But in a nutshell, I would say it starts from uh, learning about your history, who you, who you are, who you uh, were constructed to be based on the work of your ancestors and society, the, the amount of work that has been done for you to be at the place where you are and understanding that most of this work um, has been also uh, at the expense of someone else's work in yep. exploitation relationship. So, in a, in a way, first part of it is to understand that we sit on top of privileges that we don't have merit for. And we have to be aware, acknowledge that, and then try to share those privileges with other underprivileged people. And that means hearing listening to them and uh, especially their criticism especially when this, they raise their voices in angry yeah. modes yeah and feel they make us feel uncomfortable that's what we need uh, to uh, really go through this uh, transformation of understanding who we can not just uh, uh, be but how can we be in the future because we need to want we want to be less oppressed we want to be liberating people and that we have to go through, we have to lose the oppressive part, the oppressors in, that live inside ourselves.
2: Yeah.
0: So was also what Jana wanted to
2: say? Yeah, I, I, I just remember that I was really impressed when I heard the last summer when you had this open course designs of the oppressed that, um, you know, I, I was impressed how you... Um, you use different channels for the for the students to take part in this course paying attention to you know issues of um, limited internet access etc but also that this course was was um, uh, distributed under an, an open uh, creative uh, Commons attribution share alike license and I think that's also a, a strong message to give and and making, linking a bit of, of with this idea of, of the commons that, that we, we, we're we going to talk a bit more about and and the course also as a commons in a way. So, yeah, I don't know if you want to say something, but I, I, I just wanted to bring it up and, and encourage um, our audience to go and check uh, the material that's online on designs of the oppressed.
1: That's good that you mentioned, uh, Joanna because uh, that course was a relief from uh, two years of remote uh, education at our university that has been, ha- that had been very unfulfilled because we couldn't go through this process meaningfully because the whole setup was so oppressive that students mm-hmm. didn't even want to uh, answer back to any prompt that we uh, invite them to join. Mm. They didn't open their mics or even their cameras in the, uh, in the conferences. We didn't have the proper uh, tools because they didn't have even internet at home or a place to study. And the university was so insensitive and pushing them to work so hard and so fast in an un- unusual schedule. They yes. were, I mean, terrified by this uh, uh, remote uh, design education. And in this uh, international course we offered, we didn't want to reproduce the same oppressive structure. So we made something very inclusive, using the lowest bandwidth uh, requirements we could use, and also having a lot of dialogue, an uh, open space for anyone to say what I think about the, what we were discussing or reading, and having interactive moments where we would draw together and, and make some uh, aesthetic expression of our feelings about oppression and so on. So, I hope that in the future uh, we have uh, more opportunities to do critical design education over the internet because then we can reach places in the world that haven't even have access to Ball's and Freddy's writings.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Great work. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Frederick, for sharing. Um, well, maybe want to open another uh, aspect of this discussion today um, because of course um, i go back with my experience to to the first time i encountered the theater of oppressed as i said at the pdc uh, a few years back it was a lot about of course uh, uh, mobilizing your body but also trying to make your body and the bodies who interact with each other to say something that usually you're not uh, even um, aware uh, to do it um, in the everyday practice, and this approach is certainly very powerful uh, and effective in, in achieving that kind of uh, um, awareness. Yes, but at the same time, I mean, uh, um, if you th- or if we think about it, um, bodies are usually uh, something that we do not think much, uh, at least uh, not in the mainstream um, design education or design work. Um, we think about um, perhaps the, the the artifacts, the objects, the bodies of the object, but not the bodies of people who are actually engaging in the processes and what uh, engagement in design processes and in the... Um, actual outcome of those design processes are doing to the body. So, um, And one of the area of your work is also on the role of the body. So um, can you say if, from your experience or your opinion, um, why do you think on one end uh, um, perhaps the body is usually neglected in design and it's maybe now coming uh, back or should maybe be coming back more uh, central in the design discourse?
1: Well, are already some critical perspectives over the body in design that would say we inherit a Cartesian tradition of mind-body uh, dichotomy or dualism. Yes, and I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't question that. I agree with that. However, it's uh, there's something more uh, substantial to that, which is why do we have this uh, uh, dualism? It's not just a philosophical choice or lack of understanding, a lack of knowledge, it's precisely ideology at work. So if you say that uh, the mind rules over the body, uh, you are also saying that uh, there are some uh, things in the the world, uh, the nature, which is um, not uh, having its own uh, willing, not having its own soul, not having its own self-determination that you can appropriate. And If you say that another person's body is part of nature, you treat that person as if it was an instrument for your work, Mm -hmm. then you are denying that that person has a new body. You're just seeing not a body, but an object in in front of you or in your design process or in your outcomes or in your schedule and your resource management. And and that's a, a contradiction that has been uh, uh, unacknowledged for most of the time during this uh, capitalist society where we live in. So it's not just a philosophical thing, it's really a capitalist thing that has some uh, uh, different frames, for example, in colonialism, a specific body that is neglected a lot from some object is the indigenous and the black uh, forced uh, immigrant enslaved labor and uh, also the women has been transformed somehow in in, in an instrument for the man's uh, realization of what work. And then, if we um, see the body as uh, in this political perspective, in this historical perspective, it's also a source of uh, liberative power. (laughs) Over there, there is a lot of uh, uh, angerness and and, and wishing to transform the reality that we can uh, harness in uh, workshops and design projects. But then we have to be careful because we have we us uh, we have different bodies and we might not be able to understand what is to have lived in another's body because it's it's really a situated experience and uh, we have to acknowledge the difference and and, and try to see those privileges. Uh, in relation to different bodies, some bodies they have been able to develop fully their human potential, but other bodies have been denied of those uh, to, uh, full uh, potential development. Then, how do we uh, repair? How do we uh, uh, how do we feel solidarity for those who haven't been able to do so? And what is the role of design in that? Because designing. It's pretty much about uh, defining abstract signs that are imposed over the bodies through ideology, politics, uh, and matter. Uh, and but then we can also do the other way. That's the liberating perspective of design. We can also do design for uh, letting people discover these uh, unfulfilled potentials.
0: Yeah. Uh, I was thinking just now whatever... Um... Mention is this, this these things. Um, there are also uh, aspects that when we um, that relate to maybe that these. Uh, let me take it one step back. Uh, we we both, uh, me you, but also Sanna and Joanna, uh, work a lot with digital technologies. Um, and uh, one of the things that. Uh, somehow they do when we design for platforms for apps for um, digital or technological infrastructure then there is this uh, this uh, i don't know understanding of things as immaterials but also the the bodies themselves disappear because uh, somehow they 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 become mediated by these uh, infrastructure whatever that will be an app a platform or uh, um, and other uh, technology, so it's very uh, difficult sometimes to to remind that uh, uh, remind ourselves that uh, uh, in the end, as some activists say, I mean, for instance, there is no cloud computing; it's just someone else's computer, and uh, I mean these, uh, these appearance of of bodies behind the screens and behind the um the digital environment is something that is maybe challenging and problematic to 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 unpack and make visible and and to bring at the center and maybe yeah a focus on bodies and reminding us that we're not just uh, users as ideal typical uh, concept but we are actual specific um, material and and bodily person, then it's something that is uh, relevant and important.
1: Um, Yeah, this is invisibility of work and uh, and workers. Yes, it's really an important theme uh, for current uh, criticism on digital technology. And I used to tell my students, interaction design students, that uh, if you are designing interaction, you should be aware that every interaction uh, starts from a human body, it ends up in a human body, so it affects other human bodies. Yes. And that's the most concrete understanding of interaction design that you can get. It can go through mediation, and it can be, can be very complex and abstract, Much many, many, many layers of different uh, technologies and middlewares, but anyhow, in a way, uh, if we acknowledge that, uh, we are affecting each other's bodies, then we must be careful, right? Because we might hurt other people and we may also do the other way around. We care for other people if we are careful about their bodies. So that's something that completely changed, uh, the, how do we design technology? If we just design technology to reproduce the current oppressive structures that in making visible uh, working workers, then uh, we are being op- working on the side of the oppressors. But then if we try yeah. to make this work visible and work with the press in a participatory way and, and try to put their needs and their wishes, their desires to be fulfilled through our projects, then uh, I would say we are working on the side of the press.
0: You uh, worked, or you wrote this uh, uh, paper, uh, Monster Aesthetic as an Expression of Decolonizing the Design Body, which I would be happy to hear a little more if you want to share. <laughs> what was
1: this about? Uh, yeah, this is this is a funny paper. I loved writing with uh, yeah. Rafael Angelon. Uh, well, the history behind this paper is that uh, Rafael and I, we were working with our design students to write a collective manifesto on political design. And every student At those times, 2019, our students were divided between those who supported Brazilian government and this far-right politics and the students that didn't support at all, that had more left-oriented or at least a democratic-oriented mm-hmm. approach. And they couldn't agree on anything <laughs> but then we decided let's do something that we can do together that we agree that we don't agree <laughs> let's build and make a uh, manifesto so we had all kinds of different activities going through for example a parangolé uh, artistic uh, um, activity where we, we we sew together uh a wearable manifesto okay. that had all kinds of pieces, strange ones that looked like the monster by wearing <laughs> that manifesto. And it, it, you would look from a, a, a traditional, a more modern fashion design approach. You would see see that as a horrible design. But okay. then the aesthetics was the aesthetics of the presser in this uh, judgment. If we take the aesthetics of the press and the need for the press to join force together to fight. Uh, uh, for their, uh, their claims, then we would see this, an aesthetic of the pressed, and then we realized that being a monster was not so bad because we could scare the oppressors out. <laughs> and, uh, another interesting thing about this, uh, research is that we also try to understand how does it relate to the, the concept of the body in design. And we saw in the literature that a lot of discussions on design activity design space. So people understand this pretty much well. So you're designing an activity and then you are creating this abstract space where there are many possibilities. But who is designing this? There's little discussion in design research on about the agent who designs. And, and we developed this concept of design body uh, precisely to address this uh, notion of agent. And, and I, I mean, agent, not just in a sense of an individual but also in the sense of a collective yeah. uh, being such as uh, a, 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 this student group that wrote the manifesto but also any kind of design team in a, work in a company or a design association an M- NGO, or someone who's taking care of a commons they can also be considered a, a design body in this more institutional understanding of the world where you have for example the governmental bodies. These are pretty much talking about collectivities and also emphasizing these are concrete people that have a real existence and that might not have an existence if we don't safeguard their, their, their uh, desires, their needs, and so on.
0: Yeah, I fully agree. Thanks for the nice <laughs> example and experience. Um, maybe we move uh, to the last key topic of today, um, because you already basically touched about saying, when saying that uh, um, if we look how one body gets affected uh, throughout the mediation and affects another body, then we are already uh, somehow focusing on what yeah in in. Uh, Literature is also understood as effective uh, relationship, but um, there is the issue of, uh, for instance, affect, uh, sorry, affective relationship such as solidarity. So, uh, and these are particularly important uh, when we want to talk about or think about designing for and towards the commons. Um, so, what uh, what is your thought on that? How how do you see solidarity or this kind of um, um, inclusive and empowering uh, and uh, um, strengthening kind of affective relationship in the context of designing for uh, commons?
1: Well, there is a lot of discussion in the commons and commoning literature about the rationality behind commoning. Mm-hmm. That is more rational for. Um, replenishing the resources that are taken for nature, so you leave them time to grow up and then you have a local community to take care, and then you do not exploit it uh, too early. That's fine. I, I agree with that. However, um, the motivation for individuals to um, keep the, the commons is usually not a rational motivation solely. Uh, it's basically um, the relationship they have to other people that they care in that same place on uh, same locality. So they want to take care of the commons because they care about other people that depends on that same uh, res- common pool resource. And then, if you extend this uh, beyond uh, traditional common pool resource uh, situations, then we can see that uh, people uh, do things together because they care about each other, but they might also care about someone that they don't know, an, a stranger, uh, an unexpected other, which can be uh, humanity in, uh, in general, yeah. right? So if you, for example, choose to use a Creative common license or any kind of open license, then you are somehow uh, leaving uh, your work for humanity and, and any other person who might use it However, uh, it depends on what you are living as well, right? So, if you, uh, for example, uh, license uh, a design, uh, a technical drawing for a, a gun, a 3D gun, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that you can print anywhere, that's not very uh, solidarious to other people, right? So yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that, that's the contradiction, um, because it's not just about having the, the tools for Keeping up the uh, maintaining the commons, but also discussing what are, what is the purpose of being together? Exactly. Why do we are, yeah. why are we here together doing this? And solidarity is an interesting concept that many social movements in Brazil have been using to express this uh, attempt to form a collective bodies and keep them together based on uh, this um, basic human emotion of uh, feeling that the other the different is not uh an enemy it, it's precisely the opposite it's it's a, it's a possible friend and also someone who can um join forces to fight the real enemy who are the oppressors solidarity is not necessarily being um good to anyone <laughs> solidarity means those who are oppressed they should join forces together even if they are different for example if they work in the winning liberation front. It should be solidarity. They have, should have solidarity with the people working on the black uh, liberation forefront. And those should uh, bound together by this same situation where right? they 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 share some oppression, but they also say share solidarity. They share sources, yeah. they share anything that could enrich their common goods.
0: Yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's very interesting, but also, uh, a complex, also in my work, I try to bring uh, an affective perspective on this uh, way of managing resources, let's say it in brackets. It opens up the issue of when is a kind of affective relationship um, perhaps negative or positive? Maybe this is something that we should not ask, but it's something that in any way it emerges and it makes it, um, I don't know, complicated for people from the outside who are trying to understand or, 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 or uh, do something in support of those uh, commoning efforts that that make them skeptical about it. For instance, the tensions that often happens in, in uh, these um, commoning efforts or uh, struggles within these uh, collective movements that people outside of those movements take them as excuses to somehow undermine the movement themselves and it's something that sometimes, I don't know, I I wonder and I struggle how we make these kind of affective entangles mental relationships um, in their whole entirety important but without giving, sort of uh, to speak, uh, giving the, the, the oppressor other weapons in their rhetorical, um, weaponry to, to disempower these kind of um, movements. So, yeah,
1: it's yeah, and while they were adamant that we should not uh, uh, confuse uh, this um, work of more ontological Uh, philosophical work with a sentimental work where we are just uh, dealing with any kind of emotion and then Mm -hmm. we are trying to be very subjective. They were very objective. They said, look, these emotions are not subjective. They are shared. We are feeling Mm -hmm. this because the oppressors want us to feel bad, to feel that we are inferior. And then if we work together objectively again, then we can overcome and not have this feeling any longer because it's withholding us. It's not just about subjectivity, it's really much about objectifying shared subjectivity, which is the internalized oppression. And uh, for example, in this case of our students that I mentioned before, They just internalize the idea that uh, politics and design is not up to for debate. We should not discuss our basic political Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. standpoints or basic design standpoints because we won't agree. But then we decide we will discuss this because that's precisely what the oppressors want us. They want to fragment us into pieces so we cannot form collective design bodies. Uh, So we have to resist this feeling of frustration of not finding someone who's equal to us. Because this is ideology, <laughs> we, we've, telling us that we we only be happy if you find someone who is equal to us is a never-fulfilling promise, because we will never find someone who is exactly like us. And that's a trouble that is also a contradiction, which is also explored quite right well by these uh, digital uh, uh, platforms that have dating and systems that try to match the perfect person for yeah, you yeah. that you can never find. Uh, This is definitely something that we have to actively uh, work to survive and and endure because uh, it's considered to be a natural thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) to find the the equal, to find a similar one. But in reality, uh, people are different. They have different histories. And if we want to have uh, a good uh, relationship with other people, we have to accept this basic premise and, and enjoy the uh, transforming ourselves through difference, which is the concept of alterity, which is also fundamental to understand uh, critical pedagogy and theater of the press.
2: Yeah.
0: Thanks, Federico. Basically, uh, maybe last prompt for discussion. I mean, still in this uh, uh, aspect of the of the solidarity, you have also worked uh, on this uh, um, project for redesigning money as a tool for self-management and cultural production. Um, how did solidarity play out there or what was the role of solidarity in that kind of uh, project?
1: Yeah, that's a very interesting story about uh, the cultural producers who appropriated this Corais platform that you mentioned in my introduction. Mm-hmm. This platform uh, was designed for designers. We expect that designers would uh, embrace uh, open design and designing for commons and company at the beginning of the 2010, but, uh, the real users were uh, culture producers who already had discussed these issues in their own uh, areas, not necessarily in design field, and they were searching for a free software that could support them. And they were also interested on a solidarity economy because they had got in touch with this uh, landless movement in Brazil, MSCT, and they were using solidarity economy for decades while trying to, well, trying to uh, resist capitalist uh, limitations in trying to build a business and manage a property and share goods and services. And these culture producers, they wanted to do solidarity economy, uh, across borders, across territories, because they were, um, geographically distributed. Yep. One each, each of these members, they live in a different city or a different, uh, region of the city. And they wanted to share resources and, and share task force, uh, online. And they come to Korais platform and they, uh, said, well, don't you have anything for sharing for, uh, creating digital money or so. And then we went, we didn't have that time, but then we went to the Drupal modules archive and then we searched for any kind of, uh, mutual credit systems. And we found that someone in another free software project that have developed that module we installed in our platform. We customized tailored to the needs of uh, these specific culture producers. And they also joined the design and adaptation of these interfaces, and it became a very successful uh, module for our platform that has been used by many uh, collectives. They are still using as of today, okay. 2022. Okay. Wow.
0: Well, that's an interesting story. Um, thanks, Friedrich. Uh I think... Uh, we're coming coming to uh, the end of this uh, episode. Um, I mean, I was very happy to uh, listen to your experience, uh, Frederick, and uh, also uh, get the chance uh, to to hear from 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 you directly what um, is um, that you're doing in terms of trying to uh, provide. Uh, um, this critical design pedagogy, and how it can be put in practice in in uh, in uh, both in uh, design projects, but also more concretely in design education. Um, I hope that our listener also enjoy the topic of today and the conversation that we had. And um, I'm just saying goodbye to all. And uh, as we said in the last episode, in the introduction, if you want, feel free to leave us a message um, in the podcast platform and uh, tell us what you think about uh, our work. Thank you for listening and bye.